Whatever Wednesday, let's keep going with our discussion. Welcome back to our uh, ongoing discussion at Two Age Sojourner, uh, a podcast that explores what it means to be Christian in light of the overlap of the ages, and really that overlap of the ages and even the eschaton, the end of the ages, is what we have in view uh, to talk about today and Whatever Wednesday. Uh, I'm going to let the whatever part be the kind of flow on from uh, whatever we have been talking about in the previous two days. I'm doing kind of a solo week uh, this pod week. So um, let me just do whatever I want to. Um, but I, I think what we've started talking about is really fascinating, uh, this idea of the spirit of the day. Uh, if you haven't uh, looked at yesterday's uh, podcast or even the day before, I'd suggest you start there and kind of work your way uh, with me on this because um, we've ended up, uh, but if you are just wanting to keep on going from this point, uh, instead of translating Genesis 3 verse 8 as, and they heard the sound of the Lord God, walking in the garden in the cool of the day, um, a better translation would be, and they heard the sound of the Lord God approaching in the garden in the spirit of the day. And, uh, and, and then you see why the man and the wife hid themselves. This was uh, the end of the world that was happening. This was the apocalypse. Um, so we've argued that the, the voice of the Lord uh, or the sound of the Lord, same expression, need to be understood in a certain light, in a biblical theological framework. Uh, and you also need to understand uh, the cool of the day. Uh, most most translations, thankfully, have a little footnote saying uh, cool could be translated as wind or spirit. And so uh, at least you have that there um, before looking at your commentaries. And uh, we did just talk a little bit about the, the way that, that uh, exegesis and translation go hand in hand. And we've got to have got to have both of those things in view. And we always got to remember we're dealing with an original or at least a, a language that was not, uh, is not a, uh, English in its original. And so you have to just be careful of that before making assumptions uh, that I think we, we so often make because we've had the English translation before us uh, for pretty much our whole lives. And, and this is so interwoven into our consciousness. You just have to keep in mind that there's something potentially more going on there. And that's not to uh, lessen your confidence in the scripture. It just it means that there's a reason for the Bible study tools that you have. You've got different translations. Use them all. You've got commentaries. You've got exegetical scholars that have put out commentaries. Use them. Uh, get stuck in when you study the text. Um, and uh, I think if you do that, you can always come to sure conclusions, but you have to put in the work. Um <clears throat> so we've we've said that if the the spirit of the day sounds like a bit of an awkward thing, and you can see why translators would have moved in a different direction there. But I, I started off, or at least ended off last time, saying, well, even John has this idea at, in the apocalypse at the end of the scripture, uh, in the in the uh, book of Revelation uh, of the spirit of the day there. But there's a whole lot of stuff in between uh, as well. I mean, you've got, for example, uh, let me let me quote to you something out of Meredith Kleine. It says, standing between Moses and Paul, Isaiah links the creation and recreation concepts of the day of the Lord as a fullness of time. He prophesies that in that day of the Lord's saving action, 
The light of the sun will be sevenfold as the light of seven days. The day of the Spirit is a sevenfold fullness of time, a manifestation of the full mystery of the sevenfold glory of the Spirit. Using the the, the obvious symbolism that's coming through, the sevenfold uh, idea and the Spirit, he's just Klein saying that's the fullness of the Spirit, that's the fullness of time, that's the uh, fullness of knowledge of all that needs to be held to account. And uh, so the spirit of the day is important in that it's the, the fullness of the judgment in view. Uh, one more notable instance, I think, uh, is in the book of Joel, where you have a book, a prophecy, a prophet and a prophetic work dedicated exclusively to the day of the Lord. Um, but why it's relevant in light of what we're talking about is that when, if you remember when Peter gets up at Pentecost— he tells us how to interpret uh, Joel. So Joel is in the Old Testament, and he's pointing forward to the end of the world, saying, here's the day of the Lord. This whole book is about the day of the Lord. And then you get to Pentecost, which is, remember, a time of the rushing wind of the Spirit. Uh, this is this is the Spirit of the day, uh, as it were. And um, again, you have this idea of wind and spirit. And Peter gets up, and who does he quote? Joel, he says, this is the fulfillment of what Joel said, right? And what he what he means is is that this is uh, Pentecost marked the end of the ages. It marked the beginning of the end, so to speak, and um, and the spirit of the day. So just a very interesting for us because I mean the the work of the spirit and the day of the Lord are completely joined in, in Peter's interpretation of what was taking place. At Pentecost. So again, very, very interesting and very, very helpful. Um, I think also Paul might have had something similar in mind uh, when he says Second um, Thessalonians 2 verse 8, he says, the lawless one will be revealed uh, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath. Now again, that breath idea, wind, spirit of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. So once again, the idea of Pentecost is somewhat in view because uh, Paul is saying that Jesus will send the Spirit and the Spirit brings about that final reckoning of judgment, which has started at Pentecost but will end at the consummation. Uh, It will be consummated at the consummation, I should say. Um, So all just some nuggets there just to get you thinking that the Spirit of the day, while it sounds weird to an English ear, is actually a very theological thing. Uh, and it's very tied in to everything that the Bible speaks about concerning this idea. Um, and so I think here's why this is important and um, and here's why here's why you got to do the work on these things because you could you could go down the wrong track on it, especially with a text like Genesis 3 verse 8. I know whole sermons have been preached, whole books have been written probably on the need to walk with the Lord in the cool of the day. <laughs> you know, like this is this is our communion with the Lord. This is basically... Now, no one's denying that we need to, in, in a sense, walk with the Lord and pray and, you know, uh, obey His Word and uh, trust in His grace. Um, no one's denying that. But it's just not really the big point of application in that text. Um if we're right about this translation issue, because the, if if anything, what you have here is Adam and Eve have broken the covenant, and now what is in view for them is when the Lord said, "If you disobey, you will die." 
right? So yeah, the covenant Lord is appearing as covenant judge to bring the curse sanction of death. That's what they're expecting. This is what he's doing. It's a day of great and terrible judgment. Uh, and, and the Lord appears in the splendor of his majesty and confronting wickedness. Uh, it's a terrifying, terrifying event. So obviously man and wife are going to hide themselves from the presence of the Lord in the trees of the garden. I mean, now it makes sense. And um, it's not just that they were ashamed that they were naked. I mean, they had nothing to cover themselves in terms of righteousness. Uh, they were about to be judged. Uh, it reminds us of where in, in the book of Revelation, again, when the end of the world happens, what happens? People are hiding themselves begging that rocks crush them rather than face the, the terror of the Lord uh, on that day. And, um, and so again, just because uh, I'm on a bit of a Klein run here, let me, let me give you something else out of uh, what Klein says. I think this is, uh, this is from Kingdom Prologue. He says, uh, this is the fearful sound of the voice of the Lord, the thunderclap of the approaching theophonic storm chariot. It was by precisely this, and by the storm chariot, he's talking about the Ezekiel thing and the whole theophany there. It was by precisely this arresting signal that the primal parousia was heralded. The sound of judgment day preceded the awesome sight of the parousia of their judge. It was evidently heard from afar before the searching, exposing beams of the theophonic light pierced through the trees in the midst of the garden. So you just get such a amazing image there about what was probably a much more accurate representation of what took place there. Uh, you've got a you've got an apocalyptic scene as the Lord comes in advent to bring about the day of reckoning. And obviously there's no place for Adam and Eve to hide and neither is there a place for us to hide. And the whole point is that no one will be able to hide from the sevenfold sight of the Spirit. Uh, who can, you know, as Psalm 139 says, where, where do you go to flee from God's Spirit? You can't do it, right? And certainly at the end, on the day of reckoning, there's nothing more terrifying. God knows all and no one can flee from His presence. Um, and, and all this as a, as a backdrop to this amazing promise of Genesis 3.15 where this great and terrible day that we deserve to have come upon us already is delayed and delayed for the sake of mission and redemption. Adam and Eve are given a precious promise of a serpent crushing Messiah who himself will receive this day of the Lord upon, uh, upon his own shoulders. He will carry this wrath uh, when he goes to the cross and, uh, and so make it possible for that blood to be shed and that priestly garment to be given as it was even to Adam and Eve uh, as the animal was slain. And uh, so looking forward to the way the robes of Christ's own righteousness will cover us and uh, uh, move us from a place of shame to shamelessness because of his work. We will stand before the great and terrifying judge, but without fear because of the work of Christ. And... Um, and that, it, that day will come, but we have no need to fear it now because of that promise of the gospel. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's, that's the application of the passage. And that's why it's worth doing a little work on these things. So anyways, hopefully that gives you a little bit more to think about as you continue to work at your own craft of exegesis and Bible study. And I hope that blesses you even today as uh, you think about the gospel. All right. Well, hey, talk to you tomorrow. Mm -hmm.